Amen. Good morning. Bow our heads. Let's pray. I want to ask you just silently, quietly, where you are. Will you just offer up a prayer for yourself to center your heart, to limit distractions so that you can hear a word of God today? I want to ask you to take a moment to pray for people or maybe a specific person sitting in your section right now. If you need to open your eyes and just ask God to give you someone to pray over, just ask for the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, mercy, conviction, inspiration. Just ask for God to have his way with someone in your section. And believe right now that the prayers we pray have impact. They mean something to heaven. And if the Lord was gracious to give you a specific person in your section to pray over and maybe a specific thing to pray over that person after church today, let that person know, even if it's a guest, you never know what kind of encouragement that may give. Repeat after me, God help us, God nurture us, God feed us, God be with preacher Josh. Let him know today this sermon is not about him. This is all about Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Sycamore View today. There's a guy named Rogers Cadenhead, and he is known as a cyber squatter. So what they do is he tries to find website domains and claim them as his own in anticipation of who may want that one day. So what Rogers did when Pope John, uh, Pope John Paul II died is uh, Rogers jumped on and he claimed the website domain of www.benedict56.com just in case the next pope was going to go by the name Benedict. And sure enough, the next pope went by Benedict. So he was Benedict 56. So the Vatican went on to register that web domain, but someone else already had it. Now, this is a lucrative business. You can make a bunch of money doing this. But Rogers didn't want money in return. There were three things he asked for. Number one, he wanted one of those big Pope hats. Because who doesn't want one of those, right? Number two, he wanted a free night stay in the Vatican Hotel. And number three, he wanted complete absolution. He wanted complete remission of sins with no questions asked for the third week of March of 1987. (laughs) Which makes you think, what in the world did this guy do on spring break of 1987? (laughs) That this is what he would ask the Vatican for. But that's what he did. So for those of you who are trying to do something crazy on spring break, keep it in mind, all right? Um, look, I want to talk about forgiveness today because forgiveness is something we want. And I think a lot of you believe in the forgiveness of God, but what you struggle with is what does it mean to have a clear conscience in the presence of God? What does it mean to live as if we are forgiven and that God is not just holding our sins, hovering them over us? Um, so, uh, why does there have to be blood? This is a question I've wrestled with not just for weeks, but for months. This is a conversation I have with people all the time. Why does there have to be blood and sacrifice? Why could God not have just waved his hand to forgive sins? Why does there have to be blood? There was a man of God from India, 
And he was this mighty man of God decades ago. And uh, one statement he made was he believed that God could forgive sin, but he did not know how until he met Christ. And it's in and through Jesus that we discover what forgiveness of sin means and how this comes into the world. So why does there have to be blood? So I've asked people over the last few days, a lot of different people, I've asked, when you think of blood, do you think of life or death? And hands down, every single person said death. Why does there have to be blood? So in my family, my wife and I make a great team because I don't do throw up. All right, she does okay. When somebody pukes in my family, it gets really expensive because staying in a Holiday Inn for about five days can roll up, all right? Uh, but Casey doesn't do blood. And, and there was a time we were newlyweds. We had been married a few years, and I was still living like this dream of playing flight football for the rest of my life. So I would travel around and play in these tournaments. And there was this one night that uh, in a game, I cut my eyebrow open. And it wasn't bad enough where I needed stitches, but I needed butterfly band-aids. So I got home because I just like wrapped up something on there to keep it from bleeding too much. And I was like, Casey, I need your help. I need you to help me just put these butterfly band-aids on. So she said, okay, uh, let, me, let me get ready. So she's like encouraging herself, like I can do this. And she gets close to put that Band-Aid on, and then she just falls over, passes out, not on her head, all right? So I'm there with a cut open eyebrow, and my wife is passed out on the floor, all right? She doesn't do blood. Maybe some of you don't do blood. Why does there have to be blood? Three things that I want to build the rest of this sermon on, okay? One is this, blood is life. Blood is not just death, it's life. But a lot of times when we think of blood, we think that blood is a stain that needs to be cleansed. Somebody comes to you, a kid comes to you, and they have scraped up their knee. We think, okay, let's wash those, we need to wash those jeans, all right? Or, or a kid cuts their, <laughs> they have a cut on their body, and you're like, don't you stand on the carpet, all right? Don't drip on the carpet. Don't use a light-colored towel. Use a dark-colored towel, all right? Because we think that blood is a stain that needs to be cleansed, but blood is the most prominent cleansing agent in your body, Blood is life. Blood carries oxygen. You have healthy blood, there's a good chance you're a healthy person. Blood is life. Throughout the Bible, there are times where blood means death, but there are other times, and you're going to see them this morning, where blood means life. Number two, there's bloodshed. A lot. Throughout the history of the world, there's a lot of bloodshed. Now, we live today in a time where we don't see as much bloodshed. Maybe you see it on the news, but you don't experience it much. But throughout almost a throughout large part of the history of the world, like if you wanted to eat meat, you killed your own meat. You had to do everything it takes to get to the meat, to cook the meat. Bloodshed is, in many ways, a natural part of life. Now, God does not ask for blood to do anything with blood until the book of Exodus. But up until that point, there had been a lot of bloodshed. People were killing each other, and there was anger and hatred and violence, but God didn't ask anything to do with blood until the book of Exodus. So bloodshed is something that happens throughout the Bible, and it seems to be a fairly, even though it wasn't there from the beginning, it becomes this natural part of life. Some places of the world still do this. I was in Ethiopia about six weeks ago, and while in Ethiopia, I saw goats that had been ripped apart, hanging on people's shoulders as they're carrying the villages, just like it was something you do every day. Number three is this, when it comes to sin throughout the entire Bible, something or someone has to absorb the cost of sin. 
and throughout a good portion of the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. It's not someone as much as it is something that has to absorb the cost of sin. So there are lambs and goats and turtle doves that have to be sacrificed. Blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And then when you get to Jesus, it's not just something, it's someone who absorbs the cost of sin. Now throughout the entire Bible, not just with Jesus, even the Old Testament, when it came to sin, God was giving them a way, not just to deal with their past. God was giving them a way to move forward with God. He was giving them a way to move forward. And with Jesus, God was giving us a way to move eternally forward with God. This is really good news. This is great news of what God has to offer and why blood is so important. Now, in the Old Testament, Jews offered sacrifices. God required it. It sounds so ancient. It sounds like antiquity, something that happened a long time ago. If you're in your Bibles or you have your Bibles, open them to Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews 9 and 10 quite a bit, a couple of other places in Hebrews. I am so excited about some of the passages I get to unpack for you today. There is so much power in some of the verses you're going to be reading today and that we're going to be studying in Hebrews, one of the major points in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is written to a lot of Jews, Jewish Christians, who some of them have been backsliding in the Judaism. And one of the major points of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater than anything else. You think angels are great? Jesus is greater than angels. You think priests are so great? Priests are great, but they're not uh, greater than Jesus. Jesus is greater than priests. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than a high priest. Jesus is greater than anyone who has ever given you access to God. And in the Old Testament, a high priest was the one who would do that. So I'm going to invite four seventh graders from our church to come and join me on the stage. Put your hands together and welcome the seventh graders to the stage today. Come on up guys come on up <clears throat> all right you're gonna stay on this side and I want the three of you to move to that side all right and you go over there and you behave for a minute because you do not have responsibility right now all right you're gonna be the high priest today you good with that you were the one in charge of going into the presence of God for us so uh here we go we're gonna put this around your neck you ready there's the high priest, all right? Uh, now, the high priest had the responsibility of going into the presence of God for people. Now, from the very beginning, God had created it to where all of us could be priests. God didn't have his mind in Genesis on one high priest. It was that all of us could be priests who could enter into the presence of God. But then humanity began to rebel, and we rebelled a lot. Even in the book of Exodus, when God leads them and delivers them and gives them the Ten Commandments, it's like the very next chapter, people are rebelling. It's like, it's like if someone cheated on you on your honeymoon. That's what it was like for God. He's formed this covenant with people, and boom, they're rebelling. Because of this, God set up a way where people could have their sins dealt with so that they can move forward with God. So having the high priest was so important. Now, the high priest, and come right here, okay? We're going to stand in the middle, and we're going to act like this over here is the holy of holies, okay? That's the holiest place in the temple where only the high priest could go. All your other friends couldn't go there. All the other priests couldn't go there, only the high priest, all right? So in the Holy of Holies, there were a few items in there, and these items meant something. These items didn't just mean it something to the high priest, but to everyone. Even though they didn't have access into the Holy of Holies, they knew what was in there. Five things. Here they are on the screen real quick. Can we go through these? Uh, the mercy seat, which represented God's forgiving nature. And I want you to look at these five and see what they tell you about God and about sin. There was also um, the Ark of the Covenant, which contained symbols of God's covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant were a few items. There was a rod of Aaron, which represented God's liberating presence. 
There was also manna, which is what they ate in the desert when God provided for them. It represented God's provision. And there was an altar of incense, which represented God's majesty and God's holiness. So right there, just look at those five. What does that tell you about God? And what it tells you about God is God, uh, he, he wanted his people to experience him in a way that was visual and practical. So all those things you could see with your eyes, you could experience with your hands, you could see them because Jews were taught, their theology, even today, is that they are visual, very visual. They're not just abstract when it comes to God and sin. They're visual. And you put your hands on things and you learn theology through that. So this tells you something about God. He's a liberator. God has made a way, even back then, where people could know who he is. But it also tells you something about sin. That sin was something that separates people from God. Sin creates all kinds of obstacles, and it separates people from people. So God made a way for people to be able to move into the future with him. And here's how it went down, all right? In the book of Leviticus, if you became a high priest, you know what happened? You would have oil that would drip on your head. And not only that, you would have someone who would take the blood of goats, and would sprinkle it on you. Sounds kind of gross, right? No, you, you wouldn't mind if that happened today? I, I got some blood down here. You want to give it a shot? <laughs> I don't know. There would be oil and there would be blood anointing you to become the high priest. Now, the day of atonement, which is Yom Kippur, was the day of confession. And the high priest would take seven days before this and for seven days, this priest would bathe every day, constantly, would be immersed in the word of God. Even when the high priest would go to sleep at night, one of the other priests would come and would read scripture over him throughout the night, trying to make sure he had good dreams. It was preparation for this high priest going into the Holy of Holies. This was so important because he was representing all people before God. And here's how it would go. Now, we need to keep this rated G today. Do you understand? All right, rated G. Not PG, not PG-13, rated G. The first thing that high priest would do on this day is he would take a shower, all right? Uh, so he would strip and he would wash head to toe. So just kind of, let's go upper body, let's stay around the head, all right? He would, he, would, he would wash himself. And then that high priest would put on a white linen, all right? And then, just imaginary, white linen, okay? Yeah, boom. And then the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and the first time in, he would offer sacrifices, act like you're putting something on the sacrifice, your sacrifice, putting something on the altar, and he would do this for his own sin. So the first time in, this is for him. And then that high priest would come back out. So come back out, all right? And now it's time for bath number two. So I don't know, some of you, maybe you take a bunch of baths every day, all right? This is bath number two. Now here's the thing, okay? Everyone else could watch the high priest bathe. Now, there was a little curtain, so you couldn't see everything. But you were watching him because this high priest is going into the Holy of Holies on the people's behalf, and you want that high priest to be at his best. So it's like they're cheering him on, like, dude, get behind the ears. Like, we need you to be as clean as possible. This is why there were probably moms at the front watching this happen, because they're the ones who could be like, get behind the ears. You did not get your feet long enough, all right? We need to make sure you are clean and, and pure as you go into the presence of God. So there would be bath number two, and then a white linen, and then back into the Holy of Holies, this time to offer sacrifice for the other priests. First time for himself, Second time for all the other priests. And all the other priests are going to be playing some role in leading the other people to God, praying, helping them understand Scripture, understand who God is. And then the priest, the high priest, will come back out. Now it's time for bath number three. A lot, lot of bathing, right? 
So there, here's bath number three, making sure he is clean. And this is where the people, maybe if they were in there, would even be cheering him on. Because this time the high priest is going in for all of their sin. He is going in to offer sin for everybody. So now go back in. And now he is offering, uh, he's offering sacrifice for the sin of everyone. Now, this high priest every year would have to do this on the Day of Atonement. Multiple baths, mo- multiple times into the Holy of Holies, every year, annually, constantly. Now, let me tell you how great Jesus is. In Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 14, here's what it says. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is the say is not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially, ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Jesus becomes the high priest who once for all went in to offer sins for the entire world. Somebody say amen. Thank you, God. Maybe put our hands together. Okay, now, let me get two of you to come right here, okay? Because part of the sacrifice was like this. All right, let's stand right in the middle, okay? And now you're going to be, uh, you're going to be goat number one. <laughs> and you're going you're gonna to be goat number two, okay? Now, here's the deal. Y'all stand right here. Okay, here's the thing with the goats, the high priest, come up here, high priest. Uh, as part of one of these sacrifices, the high priest would go out and he would try to find two of the best goats he could find. Remember, when they had to find goats for sacrifices, they had to find the brightest and the best. Not one with broken legs and ones that are already dying, the brightest and the best. Here are the two best looking goats we could find, right? Okay, now here's the thing. One of these goats gets to live and one of the goats gets to die. Now, if, if you're one of the goats, dude, give me one of these, all right? It's like, come on, lucky sixes, you know, come on, snake eyes, uh, short stick, long stick, you know, I, you want to live. One gets to die, one gets to live. All right, now, the one who dies, you're sacrificed. Here, you're the, you're the dead one. You're right here, okay? <clears throat> all right, he's, he's dead. Yeah, there we go. All right. <laughs> and this blood goes into the Holy of Holies for, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this other goat, let's flip this around. Oh, sorry, dude, that just took off your chin. All right, this one becomes what is known, saying right here, as the scapegoat. All right, so here's what happens to the one who is alive. Check this out. All right, so uh, r- real quick, which one is Jesus? Is Jesus the goat that died or is Jesus the goat that lives? All right, he's, he's both, and I'm going to show you how. He's the one who dies. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18, I love this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Do you ever read the Bible and you just want to stand up and shout? He has broke the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is like the goat that had to die so that sins can be forgiven. But here, let me show you what the scapegoat is about. 
in the, in the book of Leviticus. Now, this is going to be fun because we've got to act this out, all right? Leviticus 16, 20, 22, here's what it says. When Aaron, which is the high priest, has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat, and he is to lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat. Yeah, you got to get way up there, all right? <laughs> He lays both his hands on the head of the live goat, okay? And he confesses over him all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sin, and puts them on the goat's head. He is transferring all of the sins of Israel up on this, this goat. This sounds so funny as we watch it right now. This was so serious for them because they are getting this visual representation of what God wants to do with the sin of the world. And then they would, uh, he, he shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of, now hang on one second, we're going to do this, okay? In the care of someone appointed for the task. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. This, this is huge. This is so important. I don't you to miss this because the high priest is transferring upon the scapegoat all of the sins of Israel and then the question becomes what do we do with it and this time God chose not just to kill this one so that the sins die he wanted to give the people an image of what God wants to do with sin so one way to do this is that we could just say all right, it's been transferred upon the scapegoat, and now scapegoat, get out of here. Like, go, go. All right, and then, like, yeah, start going. And then, oh, stop right there, stop right there. All right, but here's what happens. If you just send that scapegoat away, and the idea is that the sins of Israel have been transferred upon that goat, and now the people, they're like, they would cheer when the scapegoat would go off, because it's like, man, our sins are, are going away. But here's what you didn't want. You didn't want that scapegoat to take off running and do what the scapegoat's doing right now. Looking back at all of us, you don't want him to take off and then turn around and start coming back to the crowd because you're like, man, our sins, we don't want our sins coming back. Go away. You didn't want that scapegoat to take off running into the wilderness and then you wake up the next day and the scapegoat is in your backyard, you know? It's not what you wanted. So here's what they would do. You can read in Leviticus 16. I just read it a minute ago. They would take a person who would carry that goat away. So come on up, all right? Now, here's the question though. Yeah, yeah, keep coming, keep coming. Do you pick a Jew to do it? Because you don't want a Jew going too far into Gentile territory carrying the sins of the people. No. And, and do you trust the Gentile to do it? Because what if the Gentile really didn't like you? And then the next morning brought the scapegoat back into town. So they would trust, they would trust a Gentile who would wrap a cord around the goat's neck. Don't really do that right now, okay? And then they would begin to go. I want y'all just to start walking slowly up the aisle. And as they were walking, the people of God would cheer. And they would thank God. And here's what, they would put people every quarter of a mile who would then report back to the people of God in Jerusalem that the scapegoat is going. It's going because now the people of God see this visual, practical way that God wants to deal with sin. A goat is killed and blood is taken into the altar to forgive sin and a scapegoat is gone because God wants you to see that he is taking your sin as far away that you can see it go. Like, man, my sin is going away. God keeps taking my sin away so that you become a different kind of people. Put your hands together for my four volunteers. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you can just take it off and leave it on the, the brick wall back there. Thank you guys so much, all right? And, and here's the thing, man. If God did that for them, what more has God done for us? 
If God wanted them to see this visual image of how God wanted to take sin away, what more has God done? What more has he done for us? Now, here's where this moves from being more than just a history lesson, because I don't want you to get that today. But I want you to hear how this becomes so practical and so relevant for how we connect with God today. And some of you really need this. How many times in your life have you heard someone say, I feel so dirty, I just need a shower. And it's not that their body's dirty. It's that they've either been in sin or they've been around sin. They just need a shower. There have been multiple times I've baptized people. And when they come out of the water, the phrase they say is, for the first time in years or for the first time in my entire life, I feel pure. I feel holy. We want to be clean. But here's the deal. And I think some of you struggle with this. You believe God has forgiven you. But you have allowed the stain of your sin to stay in the backyard of your heart. You believe God has forgiven you. But there's the stain of sin that remains so close. So I, I think some of you, the way you, you think about life and what Satan wants you to believe is like you were forgiven by God. But right there, so you see it every single day. You're forgiven by God, but there's, there, there's your addiction to pornography. You were forgiven by God, but you had an abortion. You were forgiven by God, but there's pride or greed. You're forgiven by God, but there was that time you cheated on your spouse. You're forgiven by God, but there's anger that's taken over your life or hatred. And you're forgiven, but there's like this flag that just hovers over you. And God wants you to know that he has placed sin upon Jesus and has removed it. Here's what we can learn from Jews. When it came to confession, to the day of atonement, the Jews didn't offer up these abstract, broad, kind of big just prayers of God, forgive me for my many sins. Many of us were prayed, taught to pray this prayer. And I'm not saying God hadn't moved in this prayer before. But the way God wants us to deal with sin isn't just to come to the end of every day and say, God, just forgive me for my many sins. What the Jews taught, what they were taught, and how they practiced was we have to get down to the specifics of our sin. We have to name them for what they are because God wants to reveal what we want to conceal. God wants to reveal what we try so hard to conceal. And sometimes it takes us coming into the presence of God with other people, confessing our sins, naming them for what they are, trusting that God can deal with them so that they can be removed forever, even the stain of the sin, so that we can have a clear conscience before God. Jesus has something to offer us in those places in our lives that you cannot clean yourself. You can try with everything you have to clean parts of you, but there, there's only one who can clean everything in you. You can take as many showers as you want. You can try hard. You can overcompensate the sin in your life by giving more money to the poor, or more money to nonprofits, and more money to the church, but only one can make you clean. And it's Jesus. And here's what Jesus did in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it says, Surely he took, up all our, he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus has become every sacrifice that was commanded in the Old Testament. He's become all of them. He's become the sacrifice who had to die, the goat who had to die so that sins could be forgiven. Jesus has become the goat who was the scapegoat that shows you how far God wants to remove the sin in your life. One person said this. Here's what Jesus says. This is mine now. 
He is saying, and he embraces it with all that is left in him, each dark act. But there was so much of it, so many injured children, so many locked rooms, so much lonely anger, so many bombs in public places, so much vicious zeal, so many bored teenagers at roadblocks, so many drunk girls at parties someone thought they could uh, have a little fun with, so many jokes that go too far, so much ruining greed, so much sick uh, ingenuity, so much uh, burned skin. The world he claims, claims him. It burns and it stings it splinters, it gouges, it uh, locks him around, uh, locks him around and drags him down. And Jesus says, he's all open door now. All open door to take all of it. I'm struck when Pilate is standing there with these two, with Jesus and Barabbas, asking the people which one wants to die. The people use the phrase, take him away. And I'm not saying every Jew would have thought it. But scapegoat was the word for take it away. And I wonder how many of them thought in that moment how Jesus had become the scapegoat. Jesus was the one carrying the sins away. Jesus died to remove every obstacle set up to keep you from God, every single one of them, for one word. There's one word I want you to remember. I want you to thank God for. I want you to pray on it, share it with a friend this week. One word, Jesus died for this, for access. So that you could have access into the presence of God access. And what you read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51, when his blood has been shed and he's on the cross, it says this, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. He tore the temple, uh, tore the curtain. There was a curtain going into the Holy of Holies. And sometimes we visualize a curtain that hangs on a window that's thin. This curtain was thick. Some people suggest it could have been two to three feet thick. This is no easy task, and it tore from top to bottom, not bottom to top, top to bottom, so that there could be access to the Father. Jesus has given you access. Jesus is the way when you thought there was no way. Jesus is the door when all you could see was a wall. Jesus is the water when all you could see around you was the desert. Jesus is freedom when all you could feel around you were chains. He is liberation when all you knew around you was bondage. Jesus is the way the truth, the life, salvation, and he has torn down this curtain so that you could have access. And there's no getting around Jesus. There's no shortcut to try to have access to God. You can't get to God any other way, not by your efforts or by your generosity. There's no other way, not by you, how much you give to the poor or spend time with the poor. There's not moral effort. Nothing can get you to God except going through Jesus. He is the access to the Father. He is the way. Hebrews 10 says this, <clears throat> that therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we pr profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That God has given you a way to have this access to him. Um, so the way this works is not that we serve an angry God who is bitter or a God who is, 
who is just looking around to see who is covered with the most blood. It's not that the blood of Jesus comes with some 500,000 sin plan, and if you meet your quota, then you're done. The power, the power of the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus is able to forgive sin, to do away with the stain of sin, so that we have access to God to be the people of God in the world. Because what a goat could never do, Jesus has done for us. What a goat could never do, Jesus has done. He died a death so that we could have access to the Father. So today we have our four prayer tables and there are whiteboards on them. And the question next to it is just, what does the cross mean to you? And we're, we're going to give you a few Sundays to go to one of these boards during our worship services and to write out a word or a phrase, take time to draw something. So we invite you to go to even the youth group who's here feel free to go to one of these whiteboards uh and and just answer the question what does jesus mean to you and we just want to fill these boards up over the next few what does a cross mean to you we want to fill these boards up over the next few weeks there is someone here today who needs to find one of our elders or one of our prayer leaders and if you're an elder or prayer leader will you go to one of your places to receive people today there's someone here who needs to go to them because you are carrying around the weight of sin or brokenness that was never yours to carry. It's been purchased by Jesus at the cross. There's someone here who wants to be saved by God, but you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord, and it's not your effort to get you there. It is through confession. It is through baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, and this may be a day for you to have a new start. You can't save yourself. We surrender to the greatness of Jesus to do that for us. And if you uh, don't want to go to someone else in this room for prayer, will you take time today to thank God for the access he has given to lay our sins at the feet of the cross, believing Jesus knows exactly what, what he needs to do with them. Let's stand together. Let's sing a couple of songs.